Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Well, good morning. So good to be with you here this morning. Just going to get my notes out here. My name is Angie Wagler. My husband Paul and I uh, have a ministry called Arise Now. We do um, what we're doing this morning. We come to churches and we speak. And we also have an online presence, arisenow.ca is the website. And we uh, do some things on Facebook and on YouTube and, um, and just started an Instagram account too. So Arise Now, um, Facebook, social, uh, uh, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, we do a Sunday morning program, um, which is actually pre-recorded because um, we probably just finished up on Facebook and YouTube this morning with that. And, um, and we do some other things. One of the things that we are doing just starting this week is a supercharged memory group. If you want to do um, some study of scripture and get that in your heart, that's Tuesday evenings. We'd love if you would join us if you're free on a Tuesday evening. Just wanting to put a little invitation out there. You can find out more information at that, uh, about that at arisenow.ca. Now... The invitation came quite a while ago to come and speak. And a few weeks ago, I thought, oh, I should start considering what the Lord would have me talk about this morning. And so I simply asked him a few weeks back. I said, um, you know, what, what, are, what are we talking about? What are we going to be talking about here with Kingsville Zurich? And I heard in my spirit the love of God. And I thought, hmm, that's a pretty um, wide and deep topic. Uh, there's a lot about the love of God, and I was like, hmm, I wonder what, how we're going to zone that in. You know, so, so, you know, what are we going to zero in on for this morning? And I didn't have, you know, I often ask the Lord those things, and, and he, you know, he might give me some points, or he might give me some direction or some thoughts about it, and I wasn't really getting much, and I was like, hmm, I got questions. I got questions, because it's if we've been in the church any length of time, we know that the love of God is foundational to our walk with the Lord. We need to understand the love of God. And so I thought, hmm, why don't I, you know, go on and put in love in the Bible search and read through some scriptures just to kind of whet my appetite, see what jumps out at me. And and do you know in the NIV version, there's 686 verses that talk about love in some form. Now, it's not all the love of God, but I'm like, that's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about love. And so I started reading through all of those, and I started copying and pasting ones that kind of like were good. And I don't know how many I had that I had copied and pasted, well over 100, I'm sure. Uh, you know, even maybe close to 200, I'm 
I get a little bit of a junkie that way. It's like, oh, all of it's, all of it's useful. All of it is like, we want to get it all in us. But that didn't really help me with where we're going today. So I was like, I got questions. Lord, what do you want to speak to us? And I got this sneaky suspicion that he wants to show us more of who he is, more of his love. The verse that was read, how that we may have power, we may have the ability together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's, it's beyond what we could know. There's so much, there's so much more about God's love that's beyond what we could even comprehend. And then it says that you, so you and, and me may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does that look like? I like, I'm pretty sure that we're not there yet. I'm pretty sure there's more of this measure of all the fullness that we can be filled with of God for our lives. And so, did I say, I have questions? I had questions. And we're gonna look at some of those questions today and see what kind of answers we can find about what difference this makes in our lives. So what is love? The definition of love that I found here that I liked is a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another. A profoundly tender, passionate affection for another could be a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as a parent to a child or a friend. We often think of it in terms of a romantic relationship. But love is part of relationships, and it's this warm, tender, passionate feeling that we have for one another. You know, love is foundational. It's one of the foundational things of our faith is the love of God. In one of the verses that I came across when I was thinking about this foundation that, that love is, um, was found in Psalm 89:14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. We know he's king. When Jesus came, what did he say? He talked about um, the kingdom of God what God's like, what this kingdom is like. So righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Love and faithfulness go before him. I really like that. I like that because, you know, so much of the Old Testament, we have this, this foundation of, of justice. We have the law. We have all of that, but before it goes God's love before it goes God's faithfulness. So what does the love of God look like? What does it look like in the Old Testament? You know, and as I pondered that in the Old Testament, I thought, wow, you see it all throughout, the love of God. You know, I was once mentoring a young gal, and she said to me, she said, I like the God of the New Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. And I thought, well, and I said to her, it's the same God. It's the same God. We see things maybe a little, packaged a little differently 
in the Old Testament and the New Testament because there's a lot that's revealed in Jesus, but you can see God's love threaded all the way through the Old Testament. How do we see it? We see it in his leading, his calling out of Abraham. We see it in provision. We see it in deliverance. What, his people ended up in slavery in Egypt. And what did he do? He raised up a deliverer. He led them out of that place. He led them into a better land. He did these things for them. We see it in all these acts, and then we see it in the word of God, how the people express themselves in in, in terms like his unfailing love, this covenant of love that he's made with us, this steadfast love. And we see it in terms of how he referred to himself. He said, I brought you up out of Egypt as a father carries his son. We see it in, in, in Isaiah, there's a verse, and I don't know exactly where the verse is right now, but I know I wrote a song about it. It was about how he will not forsake us, how he will not forget us, even as a mother nurses her young. He's there, he comforts us. So he's like a father, he's like a mother. He go, in the prophets, he talks about how he's a lover, he's a husband. He's like, oh, Israel, you've forsaken me. Come back. And your sister Judah, she's forsaken me too. You know, he says, just turn, turn, turn. You can live. You don't have to walk in these ways that are unfaithful. He was a faithful God. Faithful as a husband would be faithful. So we see these images of God in the Old Testament about his love and his word in his acts of goodness to his people and his word that he spoke through the prophets. We see it in his words and his actions, the love of God in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Now, how did Jesus, another question, how did Jesus communicate the love of God? Hmm. He did that as well through words and actions, through his words through his words of life that he spoke. He taught the disciples and he taught the multitudes and he told stories and he gave examples. We call them parables. And I wanna look at a couple of those. In uh, Luke 14 and 15. In Luke 14, verse 15, it starts about the parable of the great banquet. Jesus had been out and he'd been eating and someone was like, oh, Jesus, you know, it's, it's blessed is the one who will eat at the feast with you, you know, in the kingdom of God, you know, that idea. And Jesus goes into a little bit of a story and his stories kind of explain the heart of God in those times. And he talks about a certain man who was preparing a great banquet and he sent out his servant to tell those who had invited to come because the banquet is ready. Have you ever invited company to come for supper? When you invite someone to come for supper and they say, oh, they're gonna come, what do you expect? You expect that they'll come, usually on time. Sometimes they might be a little bit late, but you expect them to come. Well, those that were expected to come, what do they say? Mm, They gave some excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. 
please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. That would be kind of maybe today. I went and bought a car, got to go pick it up. Bought a tractor, tractor dealer, got to go get it. And another said, I just got married and I can't come. And all of those might be reasonable excuses for not coming to this banquet that was prepared. So the servant came back and reported, hey, those that you invited, they they can't make it. So the master said, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. There's others who can come. Let's invite them to come in. And they said, they're coming, but there's still more room. And so the master of the servants said, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come so that my house is filled. I like the one version that says, compel them, compel them to come so that my house is full. There's room, there's room for more. There's room for more in this house. You know, you see the heart of God. He's like, you know what, those that are invited, and, and, and Jesus is implying, of course, the, ch- the, the nation, the children of Israel, are invited to come, and, and, and they don't really want to, and so go out to the world. Go out to the world. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Go out. Go out and let them know, there's room in my house. There's room in my house for all, for all who will come, for all who will respond. Then in Luke 15. It talks about how tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. These were the not so nice people, you know. For us church folk, those would be the down and outers, those that decide that they're not following those, or they're doing the wrong stuff, they're not righteous people. They're not living in a way that is the way God would have us live. But what does it say about these people? They wanted to hear Jesus. They wanted to be near with Jesus. They wanted to come and eat with him. And what did Jesus do? He welcomed them. But what was the religious leader's response? It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, what kind of a guy is this? Who would do that? Who would welcome those that are purposely sinning in their lives? Who would do that? And Jesus goes into some parables. They kind of all tie together. He talks about the parable of the lost sheep. He's like, oh, you know, if you were a shepherd and you had a hundred sheep and one of them got lost, wouldn't you go out and try to look for him? He's your sheep. And wouldn't you rejoice? He says, you know, when that, sh- that shepherd finds the sheep, he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And the parable of the lost coin, the woman was cleaning her house and she realized she lost one of her 10 coins. So she 
looks throughout the whole house. She cleans, she, 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 she turns everything over trying to find this lost coin. And when she does, she says to her friends and neighbors, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then Jesus gets into the story of the lost son. We think of it as the prodigal son. That son, huh, that son, what did he do? It was kind of like, if we understood the culture of the day, what he did was a no-no. He asked for his inheritance early. The father was still living. And what does he do? He takes what he was given, and he goes off to some strange country, and he spends it all on sinful living, really, in a way that didn't honor his father, didn't honor his culture. And he spends it all up, and then all his the friends that were with him, they all leave him because, well, he's got nothing more for them, right? And he ends up working for a pig farmer. Any pig farmers here? We've got good friends who are pig farmers. <laughs> uh, but in that culture, you just didn't work with pigs. They weren't kosher. And so he was not having enough food to eat, and what was he doing? He was working with the pigs, and he was eating their food. And when he was there in that place, in this awful place, what is he? He comes to his senses, the word tells us. He comes to his senses, and he's like, you know what? In my father's house, all the servants, all the hired men, everyone who works for my dad, they're well taken care of. They got more than enough to eat. They're treated well. You know what? I'm going to pack my stuff up, what he had left of it, probably not much. I'm going to take myself and I'm going to throw myself at my father's mercy and I'm going to say, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called a son anymore. Just hire me because I need to live. And you know, it says in that story, when the father saw him, the father was watching. He was waiting for that son who had left and who had, had um, dishonored the family, disgraced the family. He was watching for him and he was waiting for him. He was, and he was not watching and waiting to, to scold him, to, to discipline him, to tell him how rotten and worthless he was. He was watching and waiting because he longed to have his son back. It's the love of God. It's the love of God. It's the love of God. And while he's still a far way off, it says he sees him, the father sees him, and what does he do? He picks up his robes. It's kind of actually not a great thing from that time. It's like you didn't want to show your legs. You didn't want to show your legs. It, was, it wasn't a, you know, he was, he was getting, you know, he was showing really who he was. He was like, I don't care about the, the decorum here. I see my son and I'm going to get to him. He picks up his robes and he runs and he meets him on the way. And the son falls and he says, oh, I'm not worthy. You know, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy. 
and the father will have none of it. What does he say? Get the ring, get the robe. Slaughter that calf, we're gonna have a feast. Now, there wasn't just one son, there were two, two sons. The younger one took his inheritance and, and you know, so now he's coming back, but the older one never left. The older one been faithful to the father. He was out working in the fields and he hears, you know, the sound of celebration. He's like, ooh, what's going on? And they said, your brother's come home and your dad is having a celebration and he's killed the fattened calf and, you know, and all this stuff is happening. And something happened in the heart of that brother. Something happened in the heart of that brother. He's like, I've been the faithful one. He's been the rascal. Now he's getting this feast and I never get a feast. What does the father say to him? My son, the father says to the oldest, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Now he's found. That's the love of God. It's the love that goes before us. It's the love that goes before this righteousness and justice, which are the foundation of his throne. There's this love and this faithfulness that go before because he doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want any to be lost. He wants his house to be filled. So Jesus told stories and then his actions also showed the love of the Father. What did he do? He went out and he healed the sick and he raised the dead and he cast out demons. And I'm thinking of the story of the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? It's told in all the synoptic gospels, told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I love the uh, Mark account when this young ruler comes up to Jesus, says he falls at his feet and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have this conversation and you know, Jesus said, well, you know, you know the law, you know, you, you know the law. And he's like, yes, I know the law, you know, to, to do all the things that you need to do. And he says, I've done them all. Since I'm young, I've done them all. And it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at this young man who's done everything right in his life and he loved him and he said to him, there's one, just one thing you lack. One thing, he said, go and sell everything that you have. Give your money to the poor and come follow me. Come follow me. What does it tell us in Mark 10? It tells us that that rich young ruler was very wealthy and that was the one thing that stood in the way of him really embracing the call of God on his life. Now there may be wealthy people, but that doesn't, it's not a hindrance. But for this man, that was the one thing that stood in the way. And that young man went away very sad. And I've pondered that. I'm like, Jesus watched him walk away. 
Jesus didn't run after him and say, hey, I really mean it. You've got to come and follow me. See, choice. We have choice. We have choice. The rich young ruler, Jesus loved him. And he spoke the truth to him in love. Say, come, come follow me. There's room in my father's house. Come, follow me. The woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. Often thought that's an interesting story because um, they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery, but I don't know where the man was. There would have had to be a man there, but it was a woman who they hauled up in front of Jesus. Oh, and what did the law say? You know, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. What does the law say? The law says she must be stoned to death. She, that, the death penalty for that, that's what that, the law was. And so, you know, the teachers of the law, they were kind of conniving. They're like, we're going to get Jesus on this one. Because, you know, like he's not going to, you know, he has to agree with the law, doesn't he? And Jesus, you know, he takes his time. What does it say? He, he you know, stoops down, starts writing in the sand. You often wonder, what was he writing? Was he just doodling or was he writing some, some things out? And then he gets up and what does he say? He says, Those, um, the one without sin cast the first stone. The one without sin cast the first stone. And it says the older teachers of the law, they started leaving. <laughs> the ones who were wiser than the young ones. They started leaving and finally they all left. Nobody stoned her and it was just the woman and Jesus left there and he said to her, does no one condemn you? No one, no one. He says, I don't condemn you either. Jesus could have, but he wanted to display the love because the love and faithfulness of God goes before. But what did he speak to her? He said, now you go and leave your life of sin it's like there's a transforming work. You've been given a second chance. God wants to give us the second chance when we're caught in our sin and we're caught in these things that bind us up. He doesn't condemn. He wants us to go and he wants us to turn and he wants us to live. That's the love of God. And the paralytic. You remember the one who, the room was full Everyone wanted to hear Jesus teach, and, and there was a paralytic. And so his friends opened up the roof and lowered him. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And that kind of got a reaction out of the religious folk. What do you mean your sins are forgiven? Can only, it's only God who can forgive sins. And Jesus said, so you know the, I have, that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. He healed him. He healed him. God wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. He wants to forgive us of our sins. That is the love of God. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Okay, another question that I had. I think we're at question number four. 
What does love look like in the relationship between the Father and the Son? When we talk about the love of God, we often talk about uh, you know, God as you know, three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we've talked a little bit about God sort of in the Old Testament, kind of the Father and how Jesus revealed that love. But what was the relationship and the dynamic? What did love look like in the relationship between the Father and the Son? John 5, in John 5, verse 19, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus' whole ministry was out of that relationship, that relationship flow with the Father. He's like, really, that's how I do all the miracles that I do. That's why I teach what I do. That's what I say what I do, uh, because I see what the Father's doing and I participate with him in it. So there was a, a, a huge connection between the two of them. And then in John 14, I think we'll go to John 14 first. John 14, 31. John, I just love the book of John. You know, when we talk about the love of God, John was that disciple. He never says who it is who writes the gospel, but he gives us the clues because quite a number of times he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He knew he was loved by God, and in one of his later letters, um, I think maybe it's first, in 1 John, where he talks about, um, we love God because he first loved us. This John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, they're all full of the love of God. They're all um, you know, written from a perspective of, of knowing that you're loved. Anyways, this is what John has to say. This is just before the... Um, before Jesus' death. And in verse um, 31, well, bumping back to verse 30, he's telling the disciples, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. He has no hold on me. So he's like, What's going to happen isn't, isn't because of him having a hold on me. It's because I'm giving my life up willingly, right? But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The world must learn that I love my Father, the Father, and that I do exactly what he commands me. What does it look like? What does love look like in that relationship? Jesus is saying, I love my dad, I love my father God. I'll do what he says, I'll do what he commands. That's what love looks like. And then if we jump over into John 15, starting in verse nine. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made it known to you. Everything I've learned from my father, I've made it known to you. What did he do? He taught them and he sent them out, first the 12 and then the 70, to do the things that he had done. He's like, these are the things the father taught me. I've, I've taught you how to do it. I've shared it with you. I haven't kept secrets. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So Jesus says that if we love him, we'll obey his commands, even as he obeyed the Father's commands. And then in John 17, 20, Jesus prays, he was praying before that, he was praying for all those that believed in him, and now he prays for us in in John 17, 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, he's praying for us here, that all of them may be one, that all of them may be one, that includes all of us here, Father, just as you are in me, the Father and the Son, and I am in you. He's talking about there's a unity, there's a oneness between them. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they also be in us. May we be in the Father and in the Son that the world would know that the world would know. Diane, how much time do we have this morning? It's getting, like, I should finish up. Yes, very soon. Okay, Paul, if you want to come up. Our last point. Our last question. Let's put it, our last question. How are we doing? How are we doing? It's the question. What about our hearts in all of this? What about our hearts in all of this? And I've got a little, <laughs> a little um, object lesson. Paul's helping me out here. Okay. And this. You know, in the in life, we go through a lot of things. We go through a lot of situations in life. You know, when COVID started, my hair was a different color. <laughs> and as, as we went through that, something started to be revealed. What? The real reality was something that I had hidden that wasn't obvious, started to become made known, and I started to look like a skunk. I had the white line down the middle, and, and it's, it's grown out. But you know, it reminded me of, you know, what is in us will be revealed. What is in us will be revealed, and it's revealed by the circumstances in life. It's revealed by the things that rub up against us and come our way, the trials that we face, the, the different experiences that we have, 
how we respond to them. In Romans, there's, in Romans chapter 8, there's a bunch of verses that talk about how we can't be separated from the love of God. Nothing can separate us, neither heights nor depths, angels nor demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if the situations in life, if we don't remain in that connected to Jesus, if we let some of that stuff come rule in us, and we respond in ways of, of um, hurt, anger, all the things that are kind of normal emotional things in life, we can become hard. And when we become hard, we can become like this rock, like this stone. And if the love of God, you know, Romans 5 talks about um, when we, we you know, we build character through the things that we go through, the, the, the trials, the... Um, Anyways, verse 5 talks about how the Holy Spirit is poured out on us and the hope doesn't disappoint us because God's love is poured out into our hearts. But if we've got this hardness and this crustiness, what happens when the love of God is poured out? Well, we get a little wet. Feels kind of good, feels kind of refreshing, but it doesn't go down deep. Kind of just goes off. Doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. But if we have a soft heart and we remain in the vine, we remain in Jesus, if it pours out, the, 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 the sponge, it's not the greatest sponge, <laughs> collects it and it can be poured out for others. What we have as he pours it out there can be an overflow for others out of our life of the love of God, the love of God. John, that beloved disciple whom Jesus loved, he had this vision and it's recorded in our book of Revelation. He has a vision that God speaks to him and he talks in the beginning part of that vision, Jesus is talking, has a message for each of the, the churches in Asia. And one of them is to the Ephesians. We talked about that verse from Ephesians, where Paul writes to them that they would be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What happens in this message that Jesus has for the church of Ephesus. I often talk about this as like Jesus is given a midterm report card to these churches. What are they doing good and what do they need improvement in? Well, one of the ways that they needed improvement was he said, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. Whatever the situations are in life, and we're gonna, we're gonna pray so those um, the worship teams, they want to come up, they can. But whatever the situations in life that we go through, God wants to still pour out his love in our hearts. But I want us to come into his presence this morning and say, Lord, what do you want to shine a light on? Is there areas in my life where I need to forgive? Where, where has my heart become hard? Because I want this love, this love, this fullness of your love to flow in me and through me, 
so that the world would know, so that the world would know that Jesus loves us and that his house would be filled. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your great love and Jesus for your obedience to the Father, even laying down your life. We want that love. And so, Lord, would you just point the things, put your finger on the things in our life that you want to deal with at this time. If our hearts have become hard in ways that we cannot receive your love to the core so that we can be filled with the fullness, with your fullness, we ask, Lord, that you would show us if we need to forgive or if we just need to let go and, or what we need to do in the situation that we find ourselves. We trust that you will show us and you will lead us because that's what you do. And I want to pray over you as Paul prayed over the Ephesians. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever, all men.